You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This is Bill Powers with Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. In today's show, I'm going to be talking about promoters and the forward-looking statements that they make, because there is absolutely no reason to invest or speculate in a junior mining stock without believing in part something of being possible regarding the forward-looking statement that promoters make. I'm going to be talking through what are forward-looking statements, why they are given, why the promoter is actually responsible to make them, what you can hold the promoter accountable for, for the statements that they make, what you should hold yourself accountable for also. And so uh, hopefully this will be a not comprehensive, but at least a little bit of a deep dive into forward-looking statements so you can think through your investment decisions as it relates to the forward-looking statements that a specific mining promoter makes that caused you to put your money in a given stock. And for those listening in audio-only format, I am actually walking through a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation right now. I will link to that in the show notes below so you can get that PDF. And I learn from you, my listeners. So even as I'm sharing some of my current ID thoughts on this topic, I'll link also to the YouTube video in the audio podcast show notes so that if you have a comment you'd like to add or join the conversation, please do so in the comment section of the YouTube video linked below. So anytime you go through a presentation, which is the slide deck, also referred to as a slide deck for a junior mining stock, usually on page two, after the header page, on page two of the PowerPoint presentation, there is a cautionary statement regarding forward-looking statements. I'm displaying one here from a company, a failed company called Red Eagle Mining Corporation. They were trying to bring online an underground gold mine in Colombia some years ago based on a preliminary economic assessment alone. They failed miserably, lost investors, a lot of money. And so in this statement that they had in their PowerPoint presentation, just listen to what it says. Certain statements included in this presentation are forward-looking statements within the meaning of Canadian security laws including the following statements regarding the Santa Rosa property. The ability of Red Eagle Mining Corporation to acquire additional concessions with potential resources, the potential to develop resources and then further develop reserves, the anticipated economic potential of the concessions, the anticipated economic and political developments in Colombia, the availability of capital and finance for the company to execute its commitments and strategy going forward, Forward-looking statements are based on estimates and assumptions made by the company in light of its experience and perception of current conditions and expected future developments, as well as other factors that the company believes are appropriate in the circumstances. Many factors could cause the company's results, performance, or achievements to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements, including discrepancies between actual and estimated results from exploration and development and operating risks. What is this statement saying? It's essentially saying everything we are striving for, anticipating, or hoping to achieve may not happen, and our projections and estimates may very well be wrong. Buy our stock at your own risk, as its purchase comes with no guaranteed results. And in the case of Red Eagle Mining, this statement gives them an out because they can essentially say, listen, we told you that even what we're hoping for, what we're trying to accomplish here, whether it be exploration, development, or operations, none of it may come to pass. And they bankrupted the company and ended up giving the zero in the end to shareholders. So, But this statement, to their credit, they warned anybody that would buy this stock, 
that this could happen. So the forward-looking statements are essentially letting you know your worst-case risk scenario if it all falls apart. Now, when I do a, a private placement as an accredited investor, I have to sign off on a risk acknowledgement form. And there's these big 40-page documents that you fill out as an accredited investor to buy shares directly from the company rather than buying them in the open market. I want to share with you a risk acknowledgement form for the jurisdiction of Saskatchewan, as well as Ontario, that are in a lot of these private placements. They're, they're pretty much the same thing, but I want to read both. And as I lift it up, I want to share with you to say that if you're a retail mining investor and you're buying in the open market, these risk acknowledgements that the accredited investor has to sign before purchasing shares, you should be doing this in your head. And you should also think to yourself, with the money that I'm taking to buy the stock of this company, can I depart with this money forever if the whole company falls apart? And if the answer is no, you need that money back, then you probably shouldn't be buying the stock. So for the Saskatchewan risk acknowledgement, you have to, in writing, sign your name and say this, I acknowledge that this is a risky investment. I am investing entirely at my own risk. No securities regulatory, regulatory authority or regulator has evaluated or endorsed the merits of these securities. The person selling me these securities is not registered with a securities regulatory authority or regulator and has no duty to tell me whether this investment is suitable for me. The securities are redeemable, but I may only be able to redeem them in limited circumstances. I will not be able to sell these securities for four months. I could lose all the money I invest. And then it says I don't have a two-day right to cancel. So it's making you sign, acknowledging that if you buy shares in this company, you are doing it solely on your own. You take full risk and you could lose all of your money. Listen to this one, the risk acknowledgement form for accredited investors who are individuals for Ontario, for those watching, you can see, but for those listening, there's a big bolded warning sign, exclamation mark. This investment is risky. Don't invest unless you can afford to lose all the money you pay for this investment. Furthermore, you then have to initial and say, this investment is risky. Initial that you understand. First one is risk of loss. You could lose your entire investment of X amount of dollars, and then they make you manually input the amount of money that you're investing. So if you're putting 40 grand into an investment, they make you right. I could lose, I acknowledge I could lose my entire 40 grand. You initial it. Next thing they make you acknowledge is the liquidity risk. You may not be able to sell your investment quickly or at all. Then it's onto lack of information. You may receive little or no information about your investment. The information you receive may be limited to the information provided to you by the family member, friend, or close business associate specified in section three of this form. So <laughs> you're, you're making, you're being forced to acknowledge this is risky. I could lose it all. There may not be a market for me to sell my shares in the event that I want to sell my shares. And after I buy these shares, management may not properly communicate all the further information that I would rather like to have. This is what you must acknowledge before you buying uh, buy shares in a junior mining company. So essentially they're saying you are responsible for your investment decisions. Okay, so the risk is lifted up here and most people lose money when you invest in junior mining stocks. That's a fact. There, also, there are some shady characters, of course, not just in junior mining stocks, but in any venture, startup, uh, small cap sphere, you're gonna have liars 
and deceivers that try to take advantage of people. You know, the famous saying, a mine is a hole in the ground with a liar on top. But if you think about society and if you think about all the innovations uh, that we've seen, those innovations were brought forth by a promoter with some idea who shared that idea. People got behind that idea, funded it, funded the research and development that eventually brought forth something that was a benefit to all society. I'm thankful for, I believe it was Carrier, the Carrier family that invented the air conditioner in a hot, humid Michigan summer. I'm thankful that there was a pioneer that could pioneer that. I'm thankful for modern day travel and that we're still not in horse and buggies and everybody that raised money on an idea to better society in those ways. So if there wasn't any mining promoters, there would be no more new mines and society could not go along and advance with the way uh, we would want it to advance, especially you talk about energy shortages or electrical vehicles and the need for electric, electrical generation, electrical transportation via copper, the batteries, the graphite, the lithium, the copper, the nickel, everything that goes into the batteries. We wouldn't have any of that. The aluminum for the car, we wouldn't have any of that. The steel for the chassis, if we didn't have mining promoters raising money for the idea of finding a new mineral, mineral deposit. So there's a role. There must be a promoter. The promoter is selling the quote unquote, what could be. And selling the what could be is necessary to raise capital, to fund exploration and mine development. In fact, it's the express job of the lead executive or executives to promote what the company is trying to accomplish. You should require the executives of the companies you invest in to effectively and appropriately promote the story. The flip side of that is be careful of the quote unquote, we are not very promotional or we don't get promotional management teams. In my experience, this can be a turnoff. I've had many conversations with management teams that I've never talked about or featured on the show, whether I did the meeting in person or somebody recommend I take a Zoom meeting. One such example is I remember between uh, the break between Christmas and New Year a couple of years ago, a friend, I was in my office just and someone emailed me and said, hey, Bill, take a look at this, this company. So I spent an hour, I went through everything, I tried to see what they had out there on the internet in addition to their presentation, to what I could find out about the company, took some notes, came up with a page of questions. And I said, I'm just going to call them. And I called them and it was like, you know, December 27th or whatever, a couple of days after Christmas, someone answered the phone. And I said, hi, I'm an investor. I'm interested in uh, learning more about your company. But I had some questions. Do you have a few minutes? And he said, sure. And one of the things that he said to me is, well, you know, we're not very promotional. And I stopped him and I said, okay, well, what do you mean when you say we're not very promotional? Because that has more of a negative connotation for me than it does a positive one. Could you please explain or elaborate what you mean? Well, you know, we're, we're not out there uh, telling the story because, uh, you know, sometimes you could overpromise. And I said, well, you know, I'm looking at your share price here. It doesn't seem like too, peop too many people at this point even know about your company or what you're trying to accomplish. So I don't think that's, that's your issue here. If you have something good, that would cause me to invest, then I'm going to want you to be to tell other people about this opportunity because where are you going to get new investors from? I mean, we're talking about supply and dynamics. You have to have more buyers than sellers for a share price to go up. Like you, when I buy a stock, I want it to move up, not down. I don't buy it with the hope or the expectation that it's going to move down. I realize it may move down. Hopefully it doesn't move down forever. And then it moves down and goes back up. But key to it moving up is management getting out there, sharing the story, effectively telling it to as many potential investors as possible 
And without getting into the nitty gritty, I've also seen that there can be an arrogance in my assessment, or it could be even a cover for laziness when they said, oh, we're not very promotional. It is your job. You're being paid $25,000 a month to make the proper, hopefully value-adding decisions for this company. And you are being paid to tell the story so more, more people can see value in what you're doing and share the what could be story so that you can raise money and advance this company forward. And if you don't have a management team that's willing to do that, just be very careful. And don't expect a bartender not to serve alcohol. You determine if, when, and how much of the drink you will consume. I've never drank alcohol in my whole life. I'm going to go to the grave dry. I have no desire to drink alcohol. And so the other, this last week, I was uh, taking my family into a restaurant and you walk in and right when you walk in to check in with the hostess, there's a bar right there. There's a few people uh, sitting there at the bar and I had no animosity. I'm making a parallel, parallel here, so bear with me. I had no animosity whatsoever towards that bartender. The bartender is doing a legal job selling alcohol to those who want. There are benefits of not drinking alcohol. So for example, when I got my blood work done uh, for my 40 year, when I turned 40, my checkup, one of the things my uh, doctor said to me is, you don't drink alcohol, do you? I said, no. And he said, yeah, because your, your results here, your liver enzymes are off the chart. It's clearly someone that hasn't had their liver damaged by drinking alcohol. There's also excess calories that are a detriment or sugar spikes with alcohol. And then of course, if you drink too much alcohol, there's the risk of getting drunk and everything that's associated with that or making bad decisions when you become inebriated, right? There's risks with alcohol, but at the same time, some find pleasure with it if they use it in moderation. So are you going to get mad at a bartender for serving alcohol? I'm not, even though I don't drink, I have no desire to drink. I'm not going to get mad at the bartender for doing an illegal activity of selling alcohol to those that want it. The promoter's job is to tell the story. Don't get mad at a promoter because they're selling the what could be. It's your job to determine what you're going to do with the what could be, just as it's your job to determine if you're going to ask the, the bartender for a drink to begin with or for another drink that could potentially cause harm to your life if you drink too much, right? You can decide to believe the what could be of the promoter. But what I'm getting at here is some people just throw all mining promoters into one bunch and say they're all crooks and don't have anything to do with any of them. But as I pointed out already, we won't have the minerals we need if you don't have a, a mining promoter. So don't bunch them all together. What are you going to do with the story that they're going to sell you? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about evaluating forward-looking statements. What's your relationship with the forward-looking statement that the promoter is making? And it's their job to tell the story. What I want to talk about now is what I'll phrase the what should be versus the what could be. So when you're listening to a promoter, usually if I could just use these, I haven't heard anybody frame it like this, but what I kind of do in my mind, I tried to put in writing here what I go, the process I go through as I'm listening to a mining promoter, I'm saying, is this a what should be statement or a what could be statement? The what should be statement is the argument for undervaluation. And when somebody's arguing for undervaluation, you always ask the question relative to what? And a lot of times the promoter is saying we are undervalued. Our share price should be higher. Our market cap should be higher. And there's just some common metrics that they will use. And one of them is the enterprise value compared to the amount of resource that they have. So they might say something like this. 
We're only trading at $10 per gold ounce in the ground, while our peers are trading at $30 per gold ounce in the ground. That would be a comparative metric. Now, it's your job to you know, sift through that statement, dig deeper, and ask the question, well, why are you trading at one-third of your peers? What could be wrong? Is there a metallurgical issue? Is it bad management? Is it a bad jurisdiction? So when you hear that, what should be statement, you know, we should be higher because of this valuation metric. It's your job as the speculator to try to poke holes in that. And if you try to poke holes in it and you don't, then you come to the conclusion. Yeah, I agree with the promoter. This is an undervalued story. And maybe you would buy the stock. Another one would be net present value relative to market cap. You might hear a promoter saying we're only trading at 0.1 or 10% of our net present value, while our peers on average are trading at 0.4 or 40% of the net present value. Sometimes you might hear a promoter compare the current market capitalization or value of the company versus its historical valuation. Maybe they would say, in the last cycle, this deposit achieved a $350 million market cap, but today the gold price is higher but we are only at a $90 million market cap right now. And again, you would want to try to poke holes in that. And if you try to poke holes in that and you don't find anything wrong with their what should be or their undervaluation argument, maybe that'd be a stock you'd want to buy. But in your mind, separate the what should be or the undervaluation argument based on data and facts. And in the case of mining stocks, known resource or assets that the company owns versus the what could be. The what could be is the blue sky potential. What if we hit that drill hole? We're seeking to discover a resource. The what could be of the promoter should be given by somebody that you deem credible, of course, and substantiated with data. So they would say, okay, something, an argument you often would hear, especially like on a virgin discovery is, well, the geophysical signature that we see here, it resembles such and such deposit, 40 kilometers on trend from where we are. We have these channel samples or surface results. These are all pathfinder minerals that indicates that the primary metal that we're looking for could be undercover. All right. So they're making this what could be statement based on data. Oftentimes that you might have an existing deposit that they want to see get bigger. And the promoter will lift up that it's it's open at depth. It's open to the east. It's open to the west. Or sometimes they say it's open in all directions, meaning that there's potential for expansion. And so they're going to do a, what's called a step out hole, where they step out some distance away from the known resource. And if they hit something there, then we know that the mineralization that is there under the ground it's got to be bigger than what we knew before. How much bigger, we don't know yet, but a stock can grow significantly on a significant expansion hole because it's saying, listen, there's more metal here. There's more value here. But these are the what could be's that the promoter sells, which differ from the what should be, which is the undervaluation argument. So, so differ these two things in your head. Know what you're biting on. If you're gonna if you're gonna bite on the company's presentation and pitch, just know what you're agreeing to, and also know what you're hoping for. Because the what could be's, this is what you're hoping for, right? Best case scenario. And when you do your reasons why I would buy the stock, whatever the promoter says it could be, 
always estimate a little less than even what they're saying for the potential outcome. So when you're evaluating what is the stock trading at now, what is the market cap relative to what the stock will trade at and what the market cap will be if they're successful, always factor in a little less success than the promoter is saying that they hope they have because most of the could-be's or blue sky potential statements will disappoint you. Remember, in mining, Murphy's Law works overtime. What could go wrong usually goes wrong. And failure is the norm, not success. But that's why when they are successful, we get paid so well. Because successfully achieved what could be, these yield outsize returns. All right, so the promoter makes statements. You buy into it. You buy the stock. Now, what are some examples of what you can hold a promoter accountable for? You can hold them accountable for forming reasonable forward-looking claims of what is possible based on data. So again, you have to size up this person. Are they qualified? Are they competent? Is their team confident? And is what they're selling reasonable? Now, I've seen third parties make some quite unreasonable forward-looking claims. You know, you, you, you could hear a promoter say, we're looking for, we're hoping to find a 2 million ounce gold deposit. You know, they probably won't be successful, but that's not such a ridiculous claim. But then when I've heard, you know, we're trying to find a 100 million ounce deposit, you know, when you hear something like that, that's just too over the top. And I've seen going back to 2017, 18, and the whole craze around Novo Resources, I remember at the time that there were third parties, not people who worked for the companies, talking about the potential that this deposit could find billions, with a B, ounces of gold. And I, I mean, I was a newer mining investor at that time, and I was like, wait a second here, what's the average? I looked, you know, you could just do simple things. I looked and said, what's the average gold deposit size even now looked found out i went to some gold companies they're like okay they have three million here they have a half million ounces here they have two million ounces and this person is talking about it could be billion of ounces of gold that is an unreasonable quite frankly ridiculous uh, estimation of what could be again the lead promoter didn't make it but a, but a third party did you can hold a promoter accountable for false and intentionally misleading information I'm not saying the person that made that multi-billion dollar potential claim, uh, I'm not at all saying that they were trying to be intentionally misleading. I'm just saying that I didn't think the data warranted such an outlandish claim. But there are people that make false and intentionally misleading information. They're called liars. And here's the thing though. Usually like I've hired people running small businesses and two things you don't know fully about them. You can try to size them up in a job interview. You can call their references if they give you those, but you really don't know if they're truthful and if they work hard until they're put to the test. And then the real person over time begins to come out. So I think you can do the best you can do, but then it's like over time through observation and observing what they did or didn't do, that's when you can really learn about a person. And so you can hold a promoter accountable for their work ethic and effort. And I can tell you, some people work harder than others. Murphy's Law again, if things could go wrong, they go wrong in this sector. What is that promoter going to do when things go wrong? Are they going to work every avenue to try 
to move this difficult situation forward or are they going to fold? Something you can hold them accountable for is timely communication of material information. And I've been a shareholder of companies that have had significant material information, including an event that would then basically cause the destruction of the company. And it was not communicated to the market in a timely way. And that is not how you run a company. And that is unfair to everybody, including your shareholders, because when a certain group has information that they can act on before everybody else, that gives them an unfair and an illegal advantage because management is the steward of the company. And if there's material information that's going to affect the value of the company and its potential success or failure, you need to get that out to the market as soon as possible. You can hold a promoter accountable for publishing promised drill results and in a timely manner. I think it's horrible when a promoter sells an exploration story and they do it to raise money and they get people excited who buy the stock and they're buying because of the value that could be created, of course, by successful drill hole. And then they hit dusters and they don't even report the holes. I don't even know how some can get away with this, but it does happen. And, or they just bury it somewhere rather than saying, these are the results. And I know we promoted the blue sky up to 80,000 feet. Well, it's none of that. It's a bunch of dirt is what we found. They got to be forthright. You got to tell the market that, and you got to tell the market that in a timely manner. If you know you hit dusters, give investors that information because they bought your stock with the anticipation of getting a positive result. You didn't get the positive result. Tell the market and do it in a timely manner. You can hold them accountable for making promises that they don't keep and not providing a reasonable explanation. Things go wrong. There's things out of their control. When that happens, they need to be able to prompt, provide a reasonable explanation of how they're going to handle it, but also when they make promises. And if it's not kept for a certain reason, if I'm a shareholder, I just call them and say, you know, you said that this was going to occur. Why hasn't it? You said we would be drilling in May. It's now October. Why haven't, I wouldn't wait that long if I was invested, I would call them earlier, but I'll, I would say, why haven't you had the drill rig out there? And if it's not a reasonable expo- explanation, then that is your reason to sell. And so they need to be able to provide reasonable explanations for failure and missed timelines. And I I know a bunch of CEOs, and I actually have sympathy for the ones that I think are good because of the difficulties that they are faced and the timelines that they are missed. It's their job to try to put out a reasonable timeline, but sometimes the financing doesn't come through on time or the permit is delayed or the drill rig contractor has a mechanical issue that sets them back a month. There's reasons for failure and you should be able to be provided a reasonable explanation for the failure or the missed timelines. You should be able to determine whether their compensation is appropriate. And by the way, what I've seen is sometimes after a failed mining speculation and an investor is like, they just hate management and they're just tearing them up online in a chat room, whatever. Then they're like, and this guy paid himself $450,000 a year you know, to lose me my 20 grand or whatever you invested. They didn't know that this guy was being paid $450,000 a year to run this $8 million market cap Explorico when they bought the stock, but now they're upset about it. Well, 
you should know that going in because that's data that you can access before you buy the stock. So I understand that you're looking for reasons to be mad with the guy or gal after it fails and you lose money, but hold yourself accountable. You should have figured out his compensation or her compensation beforehand and determine whether it's reasonable. And if you don't think it's reasonable, then don't buy the stock. There's certain stocks where I know that the lead promoter is paid over half a million dollars uh, for, for, for a pre-revenue company. And he's get, he gets paid a half a million dollars and above for multiple companies. I won't buy his companies just because I think he pays himself way too much from multiple companies that aren't cash flowing. And so I don't agree with the compensation and I'm not going to buy the stock just for that reason alone. Sometimes an executive sells, the, the promoter sells, right? You bought into the stock because of the blue sky, the what could be that they sold you. And then you see in SETI that they're selling their stock. You can call them. This is what I do. And I ask for an explanation of why did you sell the stock? You know, you buy a stock for one reason because you believe it's going up. You could sell for a variety of reasons. I kind of felt embarrassed asking a question recently of one position I own because there was a disposition of stock at a time when I wouldn't think that the lead executive would be selling. I asked for the explanation and it was given to me. In fact, to his credit, he emailed me. I didn't even ask for it. He emailed me. He said, he said, Bill, I had to dispose of some stock. Here's why. It's part of a, a divorce settlement with my ex-wife. It was prearranged upon this catalyst for the company. Like this was determined a while ago. It has nothing to do with what I think the prospects of the company are right now. That's a reasonable explanation. It also made me pity and not want to be a CEO of a public company to have all of your personal business you know, out there because you need to tell the market why you sold. But it is reasonable to have a reasonable explanation for why are you selling stock when you're trying to get other people to buy your stock. Okay, examples of what you cannot hold a promoter accountable for. You cannot hold them accountable for the macro situation which causes a sell-off of your tiny junior mining stock. If the, the market is in liquidity mode, everybody's rushing to liquidity, they're selling everything indiscriminately. Gold is very liquid, so they sell gold, which causes the gold stocks to go down. And the general funds that had a tiny exposure to mining stocks sell those stocks indiscriminately, and the whole market goes down. Or copper hit $5, and then it pulls back and it runs back down to $3. Well, of course, if the copper price comes off 40%, your little copper stock is probably going to come off 70%. So that doesn't affect the fundamentals of what the executive can actually control. You need to be a judge of the macro situation. You need to know which way the winds are blowing. Is it in the sale of this tiny, tiny junior mining stock, or is it a headwind blowing against it? So you can't hold the, the promoter accountable for that. You can't hold them accountable for unfair government or local community actions, which derail a project or a mine. One of my sponsors, Trilogy Metals, went through a five-year consultation in Alaska for this road that they needed to build to the, the copper region that they're developing and their assets to connect to the Dalton Highway, which goes down to the ports uh, via which they would be able to transport uh, the, the copper out of there. And so they went through a five-year consultation process, a 1,500-page document, I believe. Everybody seemed to be on board, and they get their road permit issued. And that was under the Trump administration. And then under the Biden administration, a government bureaucrat unilaterally decides, I'm going to take that permit, 
for which you work for five years to get and years of consultation. And we're going to take that back and look at this whole thing, spend years looking at this all again. That is one of the clearest examples, in my opinion, of unfair government actions that totally can derail a project or a mine. And of course, the trilogy market cap and share price is going to tumble because of unfair government actions. And I'm not speaking for the company. These are my own opinions as I'm sharing this, but this is an example how you can't hold management accountable for that. They successfully worked for five years to get the permit. And then a, a different administration comes in and takes it from them. You can't hold management accountable for black swans, such as uh, the virus in 2019 and the effects of it in February and March of 2020. I know that there were financings, and I really pitied a lot of junior executives. There were financings that were in place and soon to be closed during that period of time. And then when the market crashed in March of 2020, those financings, those deals were dead because share prices dropped by 40% in two weeks. And then the people that subscribed to the financing said, well, I'm not going to buy your shares at whatever, a dollar, if that's what it was being offered at, when your shares are now at 60 cents. And it totally destroyed those companies' ability to finance. They had to finance in the future after the share price had responded, but it sets them back you know, a year of activities and, and because you need money to advance the project. So it sets them back. That's a, nobody could have predicted that. It wasn't management's fault. They had the, the financing subscribed to until the virus came in and the government response to it, and it just destroyed the share price. You cannot hold a promoter accountable for poor drill results if they were given to the market in good faith based on data with a thesis that was considered reasonable. Here's one that I see happen so often. You can't hold a promoter accountable for your unrealistic time horizon, your unrealistic time frame to produce the desired results. So if a promoter is selling the blue sky, for I'm just going to make up something. We're doing 20,000 meters over a period of two years. It's going to take us two and a half or three years to get all the results, all the assay lab results in and to analyze it. And at the end of it, we're hoping to grow the resource by a million and a half ounces. Okay, so the first batch of like say four batches of drill results comes in. They're not good. The share price goes down. And then maybe the macro situation turns over and turns bearish for the company. So the stock price is down 45% from where you bought it. Well, you sell and you say, I'm done with them. You didn't even give the promoter the time frame to accomplish what he or she said they needed to accomplish. They sold, they lifted up the blue sky, this amount of resource growth, but I'm going to need two and a half years to get it done. And you sold after six to eight months because the first round was bad. And then the macro situation turned over and the share price went down. Okay, so your time frame was not even a lot in line with what they publicly said they needed to try to produce the desired results. You cannot hold a promoter accountable for your position sizing. Don't bet more than you can afford to lose. Remember those risk assessment acknowledgements that I went through that you have to sign to be an accredited investor. And by the way, though those what I shared with you, those risk assessment acknowledgement forms that I have to sign as an accredited investor, those are from an actual subscription that I filled out, maybe it was like six months ago for a, a little base metal junior. When I did my due diligence, I was buying shares in that placement at half of the average cost basement cost basis that management got their shares for. Well, guess what? Because of the market condition six months later, the stock price is 50% below 
what I bought my shares for. That's how it goes sometimes. And there's no liquidity. All we need is a few, couple buyers. A couple buyers come into the stock. I have I have no question that the stock's gonna gonna rebound in the right market. And they still have cash. I'm not worried about it. But such is the nature nature of junior mining stocks. All right. Here's a note. Being a promoter of a junior mining company, it can be quite challenging in a tough market. For example, many CEOs are currently faced with the decision, do I spend my remaining capital to drill and try to produce a catalyst? Because even if I am successful, the market is not going to reward me with an increasing share price so I can raise more money at a higher price. But if I don't spend the money and move the project forward, I'm not giving investors a reason to hold my stock. And I don't even know if I'm going to be able to effectively raise money without giving away the company at these prices. So being be between this rock and a hard place is where many honest, hardworking, qualified, competent mining promoters find themselves. And I know that not just from observation, but from talking to them. And I've been told, you know, we're in capital preservation mode because if I'm successful, I'm not going to get rewarded anyway. And the main thing I'm waiting for is a turn in the macro situation as it relates to the commodity we are exploring for. And when you get that from a promoter, then it's your job to assess, do I want to keep my money here? And, you know, if you've taken a big chunk and sometimes like 40 grand can be a big chunk in one of these junior miners, is there even the liquidity to get out of the stock? Because, you know, you can take a $40,000 position and the stock might only trade $3,000 worth of shares a day. So what is it going to it's going to take two, three weeks for you to exit a position unless there's a buyer that suddenly comes into the market. So, but that's one of the things you sign off on is that there may not be liquidity. Remember the, the private placement uh, risk acknowledgement that I, that I lifted up. All right. So your mining investment or speculation fails. What should you do? You should primarily focus on what you learned about yourself via the process, because that is all you can take into the future. If you're not taking profits and you're walking out of there with a loss, what did you learn? What can you do differently? Focus on how you should tweak your investment theses, if necessary, moving forward. Primarily learn about yourself. Primarily critique what could be that you bought into, what blue sky that you bought into. Critique if you got the macro situation correct. And then fairly assess the competency of the promoter. I've done a lot of one-on-one -on -one meetings at Beaver Creek or... PDAC or different invest, uh, Minds and Money, different investment conferences. And I remember one time I was meeting with a newer promoter. It's his first time as a CEO of a startup. And he requested the meeting. And I was with a, a fellow investor. The two of us were meeting with him. I was just asking him questions and I was not trying to be mean. But I just said, I literally said to myself, and I've never said this ever in a meeting with a CEO before, but I said to myself, I would do a better job and I'm more competent to run this company than he is. And that's saying a lot because uh, I don't know how to run a junior minor, but if I was, I guarantee you, I'd be working 18 plus hours a day, figuring out how to do it. But he was not competent. He didn't have what it takes. He couldn't even answer the basic questions when I would ask, okay, well, I know there's a 1.5 million ounce deposit, you know, very close to where you are exploring as an early stage exploration company. And they are at this stage of de-risking the project with these studies already accomplished and their market cap is equal to yours. Why would I buy your early stage exploration company? And he could not answer that question at all. And so 
I'll never forget walking out of that meeting saying, you know, I, I kind of felt sorry for him, you know, but if you're being paid $25,000 or $30,000 a month to run a junior explore co maybe you shouldn't be if you're not competent because you definitely didn't win my money with that meeting. And sometimes on the other side of a failed investment or speculation, you're going to conclude, all right, this guy was not as competent and is not as qualified to lead as I thought he would have, uh, that he was. Fairly assess the truthfulness and work ethic of the promoter. When things went wrong, you call them, you ask them what they're doing to solve the problem, how they're going to do it. And you can just assess that through email communications or seeing what they, what they actually do and whether you thought it was reasonable, the excuses or the reasons that they gave you for the challenges they faced. Fairly assess if the promoter did the best they could given the challenges. And remember what I said about time horizon? Well, one of the market darlings uh, of recent times is Philo Mining. Goes from you know under $2 a share, even below $1 at one point, two years ago, to $24 a share at, at its peak or thereabout in Canadian dollars. So I have displayed before me right now, for those that are listening audio only, the six-year chart for Philo Mining. Remember when I talked about time horizon? So if you go back to... 2016 through 2020, the share movement is completely flat. And then you get the discovery, then it goes parabolic, and it goes skyward, and it's like at $17 as I record this, or thereabouts, as high as I believe like $24. So you go from a dollar to $24. Well, when do you do that? You do that four or five years after the fact. And so I'm sure there was people along the way that said, oh, this is a, this has failed. Oh, this stock is going nowhere. And they just give up on it. And then at some point in the future, the team keeps moving forward. Boom. They hit pay dirt and the share price is off to the races. So just remember what is a failed investment for you may not be failed for somebody else. And so even if you write off a team, that team may still go on to be successful and produce value for someone else. And I'll give this example. Years ago, there was a, a junior silver company in South America, and I owned the stock, and I started buying it at like 20 cents Canadian, and then it went down to like 12 cents, and then it went down to like five, five, six cents, and so my cost basis was somewhere between 20 and 12-ish cents, and when it got down to six cents, I said, I'm done with these guys, and I, would, I was in contact, and I didn't think that they had their stuff together. Right after I sold at like six cents or something, a friend said, man, I, I've been loading up on this stock. And I, and I just said to him, I said, don't even mention that company. I don't even want to have anything to do with that. Like I lost 50, 60, 70% with these guys. I don't even want to hear about it. I said, I wish you the best, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. My friend loaded up at five, six cents and the stock runs to 85 cents a year later, 15 fold. I was talking with him. I'm like, man, like you did well. And I said, uh, what do you think about my, my selling at six cents? And he said, he said, you know, for you at the time, I, he said, I think you made the right decision. You know, with where they were at then, before this billionaire investor came in, before the market turned, before some good holes, like you couldn't have predicted that as a speculator. I just happened to hit all that and buy right before all of that. And, you know, I, I did really well, but I think your decision was right. And I think my decision was right. And so I lift that up uh, as an example so that you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know? Just because you fail on a specific investment, there could be someone else that makes a killing with that same 
deposit and maybe even that same issuer and management team, just know that a failed speculation for you could be success for somebody else. And I lifted this up so you could think through your relationship so you could understand what forward-looking statements are, be reminded of the risks that are inherent in buying junior mining stocks. And then on the other end of a failed mining speculation or a successful one, critique yourself primarily and hold yourself accountable for what you should be held accountable for and hold the promoter executive accountable for what they should be accountable for, give them a fair assessment. And then that way you can move forward to become a better mining speculator. This is Bill Powers. Thanks for listening. And I wish you all the best in your mining investments. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks.